The room is relationships. The room is you and me and everyone in America. What are you talking about?、Uh, the room is different cookie cutter、mm-hmm. from Hollywood. Yeah, man, you never know. People are very strange these days. What's going on? Welcome to the Room Minute, the podcast where we get obsessed with the cinematic classic, The Room, one minute at a time. You have no idea what kind of trouble you're in here, do you? Why are you so hysterical? We always wanted people actually talk about it. I did not hit her. It's not true. It's bullshit. I did not hit her. I did not. Oh, hi, Mark. So the listeners, by the time they hear us talking here, whenever this cuts in, will have already heard the intro and will know how it goes. Currently, I have a couple versions. One involves several lines from the movie.、Mm-hmm. Uh, it starts actually. It starts with Tommy from an interview saying the room is relationships, and then it comes to quotes from the movie. With Claudette says, "What are you talking about?" Mark says, "Yeah, man, you never know. People are very strange these days." Lisa says, "What's going on?" Claudette says, "You have no idea what kind of trouble you're in here, do you?" Lisa says, "Why are you so hysterical?" And then we get the. One that everyone knows from Johnny says, "I did not hit her. It's not true. It's bullshit. <laughs> I did not hit her. I did not." Oh, hi, Mark. That's my favorite then, line. And then I had、oh. it written that he'd say, "Oh, hi, Mark." I'd say, "Oh, hi, Allison." You'd say, "Oh, hi, Rob." And then we could both say, "Oh, hey, listeners." And we could record all that ahead of time, so like we don't have to get it right every time. Okay. So say, "Oh, hi, Rob." Oh, hi, Rob. Okay. <laughs> um, do you go by a shorter name, by the way? No. Okay. I mean, some people call me Allie, but not really. Okay. For some reason, when I was recording part of a version of it, I was like, "Oh, hi, Al." Just sounded better, and I'm like, "But that you shouldn't call <laughs> someone Al if they don't want to be called Al." <laughs> My brother calls me that sometimes. <laughs> My mom actually wanted to name my little brother Alexander because then it would be Big Al and Little Al. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So then I, I did a, ver- a couple versions of the in- of an intro that didn't use dialogue from the movie because I've heard that Tommy has a tendency to sue people. Oh really? Yeah, I think we'll be fine. And <laughs> worst case scenario, we get a couple episodes out and then get sued and people notice us. <laughs> and then the next thing we do gets more audience. You know? Yeah. Let's. Yeah. <laughs> so I think I'm just gonna go with it. Yeah, are you gonna try to reach out to Tommy? To Tommy, I—I I mean, I will at some point, but I don't think he'd do it. Yeah, I already have an sort of in with a couple other people in the movie. One kind of direct, one indirect, but a strong lead. So, like, I know a person who knows a person. It's good. <laughs> Plus, he doesn't really super seem like the type to. Answer questions like people don't know how old he is. They don't know where he got the money from. They don't know. Well, he do- yeah, he doesn't answer those. We do、yeah. sort of know those things, which is where I learned that he sues people. There's a documentary、uh, called Roomful of Spoons, which I have not seen because you can't see it right now because Tommy essentially sued them for copyright infringement because they used clips from the movie without asking, which is perfectly legal in a documentary. And then they won their lawsuit, the lawsuit with him, so that they're okay. Except his threat kept them out of、um, film festivals for a while, and so they haven't really gotten proper distribution, and the movie's not available yet. But it, they did figure out 
for sure when he was born, which in the Disaster Artist book, we kind of get that from Greg, and where he's from. Although he always says New Orleans in that one interview, I think you sent me, uh, was it with Conan or someone, where he kind of admits that he's from somewhere before New Orleans, he just likes to say he's from New Orleans because that's what he liked, where he liked living. <laughs> yeah. Where is he from? Uh, it was Poland, I think, Okay. originally. There's nothing bad about Poland. No, he just, he likes, he likes to portray himself as wholly American. And because of what he was writing with this movie and because he was trying to be an actor, he tried to say he was younger than he was often. Yeah. And then he didn't like answering personal questions, even to like Greg when he was his good friend. And so he doesn't say where he got his money, but Greg does tell the story of probably where Tommy got his a lot of his money. And it's really simple. It's just selling stuff to tourists in San Francisco and then possibly... Uh, this actually comes from other sources selling like uh blue american blue jeans in other countries like exporting stuff and cuz you can make a lot of money off of that kind of thing but he does have a lot of money he owns a building in san francisco well at least one wow and he paid like somewhere around 6 million dollars to make this movie yep. he bought equipment that you don't buy <laughs> because he didn't know any better so the the answers are out there it's just yeah tommy isn't one to give them and I'm not sure if he'd tell us anything that you couldn't already get from some other interview or somewhere else. It'd be interesting to talk to him, and I have met him. You have? In, yeah, I went to a screening in November that he was at in in Westwood here in L.A. Is he nice? He's going to be there again next month, actually. It was brief, but he was nice. Okay. Yeah. And in person, he's fun. He gets up on stage. He has a lot of energy late at night. <laughs> And he got people that were, like, cosplaying his characters in the movie and got them up on stage and everything, and he had a good time. And then at some point, as each episode starts, you know, you get the obvious stuff. Welcome to the Room Minute podcast where we're breaking down the room one minute at a time. Obvious stuff. And I had this feeling that I didn't want to introduce guests. Ever. Mm-hmm. Because in the movie, people just kind of wander in and start talking, you know? <laughs> and so any guest we have, like, whenever they start talking, we'll just, like, say, oh, hi, Sean, oh, hi, Niall, or, or whoever is the guest, and, be, and just act like they just walked in. Yeah, or you could be like, I did not introduce her. I did not. It's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. That could work, yeah. <laughs> See, you've only seen the movie a couple times. You're already quoting stuff. That's good. <laughs> I love the fact that Tommy will tweet something and then he'll immediately retweet it. Oh, yeah. And his he... Instagram sometimes has pictures of his Instagram. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't understand social media. <laughs> Maybe he's just ahead of us all. Maybe he wanted to make it bad. Maybe he is an alien. <laughs> and he's like, I know how these earthlings work. I'll make a movie that's camp i just learned what camp is today oh i never knew what it was now the alien thing you read that before we were recording what's the oh okay so it's from the co-author of the book the disaster artist which is a book by greg sestero is that how you pronounce it yep about the making of the room and the co-author said it is like a movie written by an alien who has never seen a movie but has had movies thoroughly explained to him. <laughs> Which it kind of is. 
It it does feel that way. I know that's absolutely wrong though, because Tommy loves movies and has seen definitely has seen several. But yeah, it does have that feeling like someone making a movie that has no idea how movies work. Yeah, it's just kind of confusing because a lot of the dialogue is said in ways that um, it wouldn't be said in real life. Like the scene where she's like, you're my favorite customer. The talking back and forth in that scene is so fast. Mm -hmm. It just feels unnatural. And then the mom brings up having breast cancer and never comes up again in the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Like... (laughs) <laughs> what one of the great I was just thrown in there yeah one of the great things about like the breast cancer thing is that tommy has a response to that he's like well that's life you know you hear about bad things it doesn't mean you talk about them all the time <laughs> and i'm like true that is life that's not movies <laughs> in movies if someone has cancer it matters and it affects the rest of the movie in some way so yeah it might be make it more realistic but it makes it less cinematic even just in life, like if you see a stranger walking by you and you just like overhear them saying, oh, I have cancer. I mean, you're never really going to hear about it again unless you like approach them, become friends or something. Right. But if your um, soon to be wife, her mother has breast cancer, you're probably going to hear about it again. Yeah. Like it's going to come up. She's she's at his birthday party. You know, she does. She is back in the movie. She does exist. And the whole movie takes place over a few days. Lisa should at least be concerned in some way. Yeah. And she says, I'm dying. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a heavy thing to just throw in. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Speaking of things to throw in, I also, if I remember, want to ask every guest we have, anyway, how's your sex life? <laughs> Because that, that is the best question to just casually ask at a coffee shop, you know? <laughs> yeah. This movie has some great lines. So should we do introductions or? Oh, sure. We could tell people who we are, I guess. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to go first <laughs> or should I? Um, I'm Allison. Oh, I thought there was going to be more, not just your name. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite color is pink. Um, (laughs) I was on Mean Girls Minute for a hot second. (laughs) It was like 30 episodes, wasn't it? I don't know. I know you left right before I was a guest. Okay. Yeah, I left for personal reasons. Yes. And I'm Robert. I did Michael Myers Minute, looking at the original Halloween. Uh, Dave Made a Minute, which was a big, confusing group project about an indie film called Dave Made a Maze. And I'm doing this right now. Been a guest on a bunch, including Mean Girls Minute. And uh, I might make reference to Groundhog Day often, because I also wrote a blog about that movie where I watched the same that movie every day for a year. So I'm sure that'll come up. I've seen a lot of movies. And in my day job, I'm a teacher. Cool. Now, Allison, what is The Room about? Oh. (laughs) The Room is about a guy with a very... um... I was prompting you to read the synopsis. (laughs) Oh! (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) 
Are we allowed to quote this without copyright infringement? Yes. <laughs> okay. Technically, yes, as long as we comment on it. Okay. So, Tommy, if you're listening, don't Tommy sue Wiseau us. <laughs> the wonderful Tommy Wiseau, who is ahead of our time and made this movie a classic. Oh, we don't have to kiss his ass. Oh, okay, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The Room is an electrifying American black comedy about love, passion, betrayal, and lies. I kind of want to stop you already. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> it's already wrong. <laughs> this is... This... I'm Okay, the way I want to do this podcast, this may be the only time I will say this, because the rest of the time I want to absolutely support the film and take it seriously. This movie is not a comedy. In any way, it is not a black comedy. It's not deliberately funny. It is a serious drama, like melodrama with like a romantic storyline and betrayal, the stuff you're about to describe. The comedy thing is something that Tommy embraced after the movie had been screened a bunch of times and after the audiences started to laugh at it. Which in The Disaster Artist, the movie... They make it seem like that happened at the premiere screening. That's not exactly how it happened. It took a little while. But that's why he calls this a comedy. It is not a comedy. It is a badly made film with actors who should have been doing better. Most of them seem like they can act. They're just stuck with horrible dialogue. A crew that knew better, but were stuck. And a... uh star and producer who had no idea what he was doing you may continue <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah a lot of them i've noticed refer to themselves a lot of the actors refer to themselves as casualties of the movie the room <laughs> i've noticed that okay <laughs> it has five major characters johnny played by tommy wiseau is a successful banker with great respect for and dedication which is improper grammar to the people in his life especially his future wife lisa johnny can also be a little too trusting at times are you still there yes i'm there oh sorry i was i muted my mic because i got out the dvd to double check if that typo was mine or from the original and it's from the original <laughs> okay i'm sorry i left but i lost you <laughs> Um, okay, sorry. <laughs> I lost my spot. Okay, Johnny can be a little too trusting at times, which haunts him later on. Lisa, played by Juliet Daniel, is the beautiful blonde fiancé of Johnny. She has always gotten her way and will manipulate to get what she wants. She is a taker with a double personality, and her deadly schemes lead to her own downfall. That reminds me of the um, Billy Joel song, what is it, She's Always a Woman to Me, where he just describes this horrible woman, and it's like, <laughs> but she's always a woman to me, <laughs> and like, he still loves her. Yeah. <laughs> um, she can kill with a smile, she can kill with her eyes, she can ruin your faith with her casual lies. And she only reveals what she wants you to see. Well, she hides like a child, but she's always a woman to me. 
Mark, played by Greg Sestero, is a young, successful, and independent best friend of Johnny. He has a good heart, but gets caught up in Lisa's dangerous web and gives in to temptation. This eventually brings him to great loss. Claudette, played by Carolyn Mignot, a Minot. Minot is the classy, sophisticated mother of Lisa, who has had disappointing relationships in her life. She wants her daughter to be married as soon as possible so she can benefit. Denny, played by Philip Haldeman. 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 <laughs> Should have practiced the actors' names. <laughs> um, is an orphan boy, naive and confused about life, love, and friendship. Denny is very ambitious and also very grateful to the people who are in his life. The room depicts of friendships and relationships in one life and raises life's real and most asked question. Can you ever really trust anyone? I guess that's most li- life's most asked question. <laughs> <laughs> Are you ready for this quirky new black comedy? Are you ready to see reflection of your life? To see reflection of your life. Experience this quirky new black comedy. It's a riot. Enter the room and leave forever changed. <laughs> that last sentence isn't wrong. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Yeah, okay. Yes, that that is essentially what the movie is about. Yeah. They really do not portray... um, Well, I mean, she shouldn't really be portrayed well, but... They really don't portray Lisa well. Oh, this movie isn't nice to women at all. Yeah, that's true. I mean, maybe um, Michelle. Like, Lisa's friend. But otherwise... No. Lisa and her mother are not good people the way this movie presents them. No. The mom is like, Johnny has money. And constantly, com- yeah, they're constantly complaining about the men around them. Lisa betrays Johnny, of course, and ruin kind of ruins Greg's life in the process. I wonder if it's like based off of something that Tommy experienced. Oh, for sure. It would have to be. Uh, he, there are, this is something I love reading the disaster artist, the book is Greg will use lines of dialogue that end up in the movie early in earlier scenes when he's talking about his friendship with Tommy. Mm-hmm. Like that's just the way Tommy talks and like everything Tommy put into this story is something personal for him. And so I, yeah, I think at some point Tommy was betrayed by a woman who he was with and he tried to put that into the story. He tried to make a classic story. That's a romance about betrayal and everything else. And that's good. You know? He might not know what he's doing, but he was doing something. And he, it was specific and, ex- and deliberate. Yeah. Well, that's sad. Oh, yeah. And, it, well, it's worse. If you, if you read the book, there's several sad parts of, like, I look at the room of the movie and Tommy Wiseau and he's like this funny person. Like, it's fun for people to laugh at him and laugh at, like, the incompetence of the film. But he's sort of a sad person. He's this old guy who wanted to be an actor. And not even when he was young. Like one day he, uh, 
I don't remember if this is in the movie The Disaster Artist, but like he was in an accident. And after that, basically decided he wanted to do something with his life. Mm-hmm. And that mean, meant something to him. And so he went into acting. And then that didn't work out because, you know, he's Tommy Wiseau. He looks strange. He sounds strange. And so people weren't casting him in things. And he couldn't get an agent and things like that. So he eventually put all of his money and made a movie himself. And that's cool. But yeah, it's it's a sad story, and Disaster Artist the book is even sadder because like the only person it seems like he had in his life at the time was Greg Sestero, and Greg was gradually kind of getting tired of him as they're making this movie because it was taking too long, it was getting too hard, and it was messing with everyone's lives and their schedules because Tommy demanded that everyone be on set every day, even if they didn't have anything to do, because he was making up scheduling on the spot too. And so at one point when Greg, I think it's when Greg goes to Europe because he was in um, Retro Puppet Master, uh, a full moon horror film. And while he's gone, like he talks to Tommy on the phone and Tommy's really sad because like he's by himself. And so now like I've read that, I've read that book and I'm like, I feel sad for this guy Yeah. when I watch the movie and I'm like, I don't want to feel sad for this guy. Oh, then you can feel sad for Johnny, too, because Johnny, you know, he doesn't even realize that his girlfriend's cheating on him until it's too late. and It blows up. Literally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that it is mentioned in the movie. Um, I think that they have the scene where they're sitting and talking about it, and then Tommy tells, like, that really sad, heart-wrenching story, and then Greg is like, I saw Home Alone, and that was what made me want to do it. That's right, yeah, that is in the movie. <laughs> Tommy's like, you were home alone? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's one of the times in the movie, it's one of the things in the Disaster Artist film that I like, that the two leads are like brothers in real life. Because it feels like that's the relationship that Johnny and Greg have, or Tommy and Greg have. Is that they're kind of like brothers, even though Johnny's a lot old. I keep saying Johnny. Tommy is a lot older than Greg is. But he feels like he's like his big brother. He's trying to take care of him. But then he also feels bad when he's doing things he doesn't like because he takes it personally. Yeah. Now, for behind-the-scenes purposes, yes, I have read the book, The Disaster Artist, and seen the film version a couple times. I've also read Sandy Chaclair's uh, book, Yes, I Directed the Room. According to, like, official sources, he would be the uh, script supervisor. I believe that's the only credit he ended up getting. He claims otherwise. And I'll get to that when I get to that, when certain scenes and things. Um, Whenever it's available, I'm going to watch Roomful of Spoons, Rick Harper's documentary. I've read... How many issues is it? Philip Haldeman has a comic book called My Big Break. Uh, which is about him coming to Hollywood and getting the job on the room. And he also has some scenes he wrote with Dan and, uh, Denny in between scenes that we see. And I've read all five issues of that that, that exist so far. And so listeners, you well, you don't need to buy those. They're not that exciting, but I'll tell you about them. Interrupting from the editing bay, on behalf of Philip Alderman, who I hope we can have as a guest in the future, you should buy my big break. And I've watched every episode of The Room Actors, Where Are They Now?, which are hilarious. And if you get the chance, you should watch them. They're on, uh, I think, Amazon Prime. 
uh, they're done by uh, Funny or Die, and made by, um, well, forgot to just just forgot her real name, the actress who plays Michelle, Robin Paris. My apologies. <laughs> Produced them, and the other actors are in them, and they're pretty good. And I've been to one of the segments I want to do on the show regularly is I've been to the midnight screenings, both with and without Tommy being there. And so I want to tell you, like, here's what's going to happen if you go see the movie live <laughs> during these things, because it is chaos. It's not like you've seen you might have seen like footage of people throwing spoons at the screen. Or if you see uh, old things of um Rocky Horror Picture Show where they like shoot spray guns in the air and they like throw some stuff or they dance, whatever. There's a few things they do. This is stuff happening constantly. People are responding to dialogue on the screen. People are commenting on things on the screen. They're throwing things. They're doing things. People run up to the front of the theater to interact with the screen at certain points. <laughs> it, it's crazy how much goes on. And when Tommy was there, it was a sold-out screening. So it, it, these screenings make money and do well. And they sell merchandise. They sell bundles of spoons. In case you didn't bring your own. To throw at the screen? Yes. <laughs> do you know do you know that one, Allison? The no. spoon thing? We'll talk about it when we get to that minute of the movie, but there's a table in the living room that didn't have anything on it. And I believe it was Sandy Chaclair who like points out, yeah, we can't just have an empty table in the background. It doesn't look right. And so they sent out the set decorator to buy something to put on the table, but all they got were these frames that had, like, the placeholder pictures were pictures of spoons. <laughs> Rather than take the time to, you know, put some photos or something in the frames, they just stuck those on the table. So now, whenever you see those pictures of spoons, the audience throws spoons at the screen. <laughs> at the end of the screening, there are spoons everywhere, like thousands of spoons all over the floor in the theater. Wouldn't that ruin the movie theater screen? No, because they're throwing... It's plastic spoons. Okay. Generally, they're not even hitting the screen <laughs> because you can't throw a plastic spoon that far unless you're up in the front couple of rows. But you just have... If you sit somewhere near the front, you don't even have to bring your own spoons. You just catch some on the first few times and then throw them the rest because there's spoons everywhere. That's funny. And I've read that they do sell out like these screenings play to like packed crowds mm -hmm. yeah when i went to one i went again last month and it was one like they didn't have a special guest there it still and it was raining like it was pouring down rain outside and it still was more than half full yeah so yeah they do well that's a, a theater in westwood that does it once a month still here in la now as i said I'm going to attempt in every other episode of this podcast to take this movie seriously and treat it like a real movie. There are reasons that things happen in this movie that make sense, even if you have to struggle to make sense of them. One of those reasons, uh, I think, can be encapsulated pretty well from a story I read in, this is in the New York Times, John Krasinski, star of The Office and director of A Quiet Place. Uh, he tells the story to the New York Times about a conversation he had, he had with director Paul Thomas Anderson who directed Punch Drunk Love, Boogie Nights, There Will Be Blood, and a few others. And he says, quote, I'll tell you a big life lesson. Paul was over at my house, I think it was my 30th birthday party, and I had just seen a movie I didn't love. 
I said to him over a drink, it's not a good movie. And he so sweetly took me aside and said very quietly, don't say that. Don't say that it's not a good movie. If it wasn't for you, that's fine. But in our business, we've all got to support each other. The movie was very artsy, and he said, you've got to support the big swing. If you put it out there that the movie's not good, they won't let us make more movies like that. Dude, Paul Thomas Anderson is out there on the wall for us. He's defending the value of the artistic experience. He's so good that maybe you project onto him that he's allowed to be snarky, but he's the exact opposite. He wants to love everything because that's why he got into movie making. And ever since then, I've never said that I hate a movie. Aw, I like that quote. And... And yeah, my, my response was like, sure, The Room is an awful film, but unlike some awful films, it has a plot. You can follow that plot. Mm -hmm. It has reasons for its tangents, but most importantly, it got made. Like I've written screenplays. I've wanted to make movies. When I went to college right out of high school, I wanted to go into film school. I've never made anything but one short film, and that was a class assignment for Korean class. The room got made. So on some level, if nothing else, I can appreciate that. Because it got made, it got distributed, and at least once a month around here, sometimes more often in other cities, people are out there seeing it. And he tried. And there are people that love it. You know, he tried. Yeah. And it... When a way he succeeded. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he did. This the way the way he constructs dialogue in the script is what's on the screen. Like, what's on the screen is what they filmed, except for two scenes. They're, like, there are only two cut scenes in this entire movie. Otherwise, we're seeing the footage. There are extra takes, of course, but this is what it was. They didn't have scenes they decided later didn't fit. There are some scenes in the movie that they should have decided later didn't fit. <laughs> but they didn't. And I think when... It's one of those things that I think the Disaster Artist movie gets pretty well, is that moment when... At the end, Tommy walks out of the theater because he's upset that the audience is reacting the way they're act they are reacting. Because what's on screen is what he wanted to be on screen. Yeah. Like, the flaw was somewhere earlier. His understanding of script structure. His understanding of filmmaking. Not in, like, the execution of what he had in mind. Or maybe only in the execution, rather. What he had in mind is what we got. And so I, I actually, especially with this movie, some bad movies, it's hard to see because some bad movies are just boring. Some bad movies were literally written by, not by aliens, but by people who spoke other languages and tried to make a movie in English when they didn't speak it. And you can tell. And so they're hard to follow. This one, you can follow it. Even if you think it's dumb, even if you think it's silly, it does have a plot, it does have a story, and it does follow through on what it wants to do yeah and it was successful movie you know yeah just not in the way that he intended right it found a different success he eventually embraced that and has been embracing it for what a decade and a half now yeah and is finally making another feature currently <laughs> good for him yeah <laughs> yeah it turns out it wasn't a drama it was a black comedy the whole time of course <laughs> that's obvious because that's what life is see now i'm getting in character that's what it's supposed to be because that's how life is you hear your mother has cancer you don't want to deal with it that's why you don't talk about it 
every other scene in the movie afterward. Because no one wants to talk about cancer. Yeah. No one wants to talk about your mother's problems. Or the the drug addict, formerly homeless kid that your fiancé pays for his college for some reason. You don't want to talk about that. <laughs> you want to say, that's good. Johnny's a great guy. Even when you're cheating on him. Because that's how life is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One more thing in character. I'm going to quote Orson Welles. Uh, you know, great filmmaker, made the Citizen Kane, lots of other good things. Uh, and he once said, the greatest things in movies are divine accidents. Embrace that accident. And my definition of a film director is the man who presides over accidents. They're these divine accidents. It's the only thing that keeps films from being dead. Every time one would happen, boom, genius would come out. Everywhere there are beautiful accidents. There's a smell in the air. There's a look that changes the whole resonance of what you expect. And then I would say, for fans of The Room, The Room is a divine accident. Whatever it was supposed to be, it turned out to be something we can love. I'd agree. <laughs> now, as for ending the episodes on a regular basis, I really wanted to um, end by quoting, by copying a line from Lisa's mother and say, everything goes wrong at once, nobody wants to help me, and I'm dying. And then you, Allison, would say, you're not dying, Rob. you got to say that so I can put it in the recording. You're not dying, Rob. And then I would say... Okay, I'll redo that. It's fine. Say it. <laughs> you're not dying, Rob. I got the results of the test back. I definitely have breast cancer. However, if I was going to try... It's a lot of episodes because it's one per minute of the movie. I was going to try to say a different disease every time. <laughs> Oh, gee, I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> but, but then I realized, wait, that's a lot of episodes. And that's heavy. Right. We don't want to make a mockery of diseases. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, I don't. Um, we should end with the question, can you trust anyone? <laughs> yeah. I, and then finally at the end of the our final, like the outro would be like, this has been the room minute. Uh, follow the room minute on all the obvious social media. And if you've got any stupid comments after the show, you could leave them in your pocket on Facebook. <laughs> and then I had a final quote that says, and remember, if a lot of people loved each other, the world would be a better place to live. Aww. And so, that's all I got for a pilot. Awesome. So it's nothing wrong when people make fun of the project, in this case, the room. The Room Minute is a production of Lemming Drops Studio. You can find more content at lemmingdrops.com. Follow The Room Minute on all the obvious social media. If you've got any stupid comments after the show, you can leave them in your pocket on Facebook. If you like what you hear, throw us a rating and a review on your podcatcher of choice. Thank you for listening. And remember, if a lot of people loved each other, the world would be a better place to live. Leave us! Are you outside? Yes. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Near a clock tower, apparently. <laughs> Sorry. Just let it go. That's <laughs> okay. Oh, still going. No, it's done.